Amen. Praise God. Okay. Uh, we began talking today about the only congregation God stands in the midst of. It is the congregation of the mighty. If you want to turn, go to uh, Psalms 82. And we'll look at verse number one. That's the first verse of an eight-verse psalm that, in my opinion, is one of the most important psalms in all of the book of Psalms. They're all important. They all have wonderful things to say to us. But Psalms 82, verse 1, tells us that God stands in a particular congregation. Okay? He judges among a particular kind of people that he mentions in this particular psalm. Okay, now in verse one, it says God stands in the congregation of the mighty. Notice he's not standing in the congregation of the assemblies of God, the four square gospel church, the church of God, the church of God in Christ, the church of God of Cleveland, Tennessee, the Baptist, the uh, Bible Baptist, the free will Baptists, the I'm lost and I don't know where they are Baptists, you know, all of the Baptists out there, the Methodists, the Lutherans, all of these names all of these denominations, all these organizations, you know, thank God for people that are trying their best to serve the Lord, I suppose, with the knowledge they've got. In most cases, it's very lacking, but they do love the Lord. But the point is, he doesn't stand in the midst of some particular group or some organization. He stands in the midst of a group of people, not an organization named as such. It's called the Congregation of the Mighty. He's looking for certain people. The Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, that God searches to and fro, that's just another word for saying back and forth, across the whole world looking for people to show himself strong to. I like to think that when he finds me, he finds somebody that he can use. He finds someone who's qualified. And I would like to think that when he finds you, he says the same things about you as he might say about me. Somebody he can use, someone who can become a member of the congregation of the mighty. Okay? God's not so much concerned about the nice, fancy, impressive sounding name out there on the street. What he's concerned about, what he's looking for, are members of the congregation of the mighty. These are the ones he talks to, reveals himself to. The gifts of the Spirit flow through people like this. These are the people that he works with. He stands in the midst of them. Okay, now he loves everybody, but these are the people he uses. These are the people he works with. These are the people who have an exciting life because they're living their life on the edge. It's called living by faith. All right, it's not living by predictability, which is what most people want. They want everything laid out and, you know, fleshed out and outlined for them before they take any steps to obey God. And that's not the way it works. In fact, that's backwards. Okay, we step out in faith and then God shows us things. And reveals things and provides things. And then we take the next step of faith. And he shows us things. And he provides for us. And he moves along like that in our lives. That's the way we walk by faith and not by sight. It says he judges among the gods. This is how he sees us. G-O-D-S, small g. Okay? You have to understand that in Christ you are one with him. Okay? Um, He and I, he and you, he and we are together. We are fused. Okay? He is in us and we are in him. Okay. Now, all of this is basic elementary Christianity, which I'm sorry to say most Christians have no idea. They're just that they're clueless. They love the Lord. And to a certain degree, they know some things. But this stuff, you talk about this with most people and they just look at you funny. They don't know what you're talking about. They have no reference point for this. No one ever taught them anything. 
No one ever said anything to these to them about this. You get this in this church, I know, but you probably, like I said earlier today, drove past a dozen churches to get to this one, and I'd bet you money that in those churches, they don't know who they are, they don't know where they're going, they don't know what they can do, because nobody knows. And so they never hear it, and so they never believe it. Okay, verses 2, 3, and 4, and 5, this talks about the ministry and the outreach that we are responsible for as members of the congregation of the mighty. It says, um, you know, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Verse 3, defend the poor and the fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and to the needy. Deliver the poor and the needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. This is called outreach. This is called setting the captives free. And verse 5, this is what most people are living with now. Verse 5, they don't know. They're walking around without understanding, and they walk around in darkness. And all the foundations of the earth are what? Unstable. That is planet earth as we know it to be right now. Extremely unstable. Governments are trying their best to do things to fix problems, but the problems are just too messed up now. They're too convoluted. They just can't fix the mess. It's too messed. The scrambled eggs are too scrambled. The only one who can unscramble this mess would be Jesus, and he will when he comes back. But until that time, we're living in a ball of confusion called planet Earth. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. Then God makes a statement. He says, I said you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. So we, the children of the Most High, are called by God, I might add, not by me. This is not some weird doctrine I thought up. He said, I said, you are gods. That's how he sees you. Are you divine? No. Can you create like God? Of course not. But inside of you, you have creative ability. You can't create planets. You can't create a universe. You can't do what God does because God is God and we are not. But he made us in his image and likeness. We have creative capability with the words of our mouth. You can create healing where there is sickness. You can create happiness where there is sadness. We can do a lot of things with the words of our mouth. We can change our world with our confessions of faith. We have creative capability because we can choose to speak words of faith instead of words of fear. Fear activates the devil the way faith activates God. It's just a choice. And it takes no more choice to speak faith rather than fear. It's just a choice. Okay? Now, All of us being children of the Most High, verse 7, unfortunately, God says, you shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. Meaning to say, you're going to live your life like everybody else. What a tragedy. You're going to act like unbelievers. You're going to talk like unbelievers. You're going to think like unbelievers, even though you are a child of God and you let a defeated enemy named Satan push you around. What an insult and slap in the face to Almighty God. To let blood-bought, born-again, and in in our circle, spirit-filled people, let a defeated enemy torment us and push us around. That should not ever be the case, but it is in the case of most people claiming to be Christians. So we don't want any of that any more than I want any of that in my life. So we began talking earlier today about the seven prerequisites for membership in the congregation of the mighty. Every church has, well, not every church, but many churches have membership classes. They want you to go through the class to learn what they believe and how they operate so that, you know, when they claim you as a member, they at least in theory think you know what the church is all about. So they have membership classes, okay? Now, in the congregation of the mighty, God has membership qualifications as well. 
Okay, you just you just don't show up and say, "Yeah, I want to be in," and God says, "Okay, you're in." No, no, no. You got to pass the test. You got to qualify for this. So we talked about three of the seven that we're going to look at earlier today, and we'll just quickly mention them and then move on. Number one, we and all of this deals with management. You know, we are stewards of the earth. God is the owner. We are the stewards. A steward is simply a manager of someone else's possessions. Okay, we talk about stewardship. That simply means, you know, managing someone else's possessions responsibly. Okay? So, number one, we must manage our emotions. We have to be passionate for the things of God. Okay? Not lukewarm, not Sunday morning believers, somebody who lives and breathes and talks Jesus all day long, man. I mean, that's the way it ought to be. Managing our emotions. And I use Jesus as the classic example. You know, we have inaccurate maybe not inaccurate, but incomplete ideas about Jesus, the lamb of God, the gentle shepherd, you know, uh, I got it. He can be gentle and he is the lamb of God. I, I got all that. But there are other verses in the Bible that reveal a different side to our Lord and Savior, the radical, passionate, in your face, slap you around a little bit, Jesus. He's that side I like more than the other, to be honest. I'm thankful for the gentle shepherd part, but... It's nice to know that he can uh, make that whip of cords and drive people around and drive them out of the temple when necessary. And he's not afraid to do so. And the Bible says when he's coming back, he's coming back on a horse. His thigh will be dipped in blood. He'll have a sword in his hand and he will be wielding that thing. And he will rule the nations through the tribulation with a rod of iron. Meaning to say there will be no insurrection. There will be no disobedience. He will slap you around if you even think about doing so. He will rule the earth with a rod of iron. This is a different Jesus than the ones we've been, you know, preaching about all through these different uh, generations since the generation or the dispensation of grace was started at the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit showed up. That dispensation, as I said earlier today, is about to come to an end. We have Daniel's 70 weeks. We've gone through 69 of those weeks. We have a 70th week to go. That's seven years. One week equals seven years. That is the tribulation. That is just about upon us. Okay? We, we need to know where we are with history. We need to know where we are in a timeline. Okay? We're not just going around day by day, you know, trying to pay bills. We need to know some things about who we are in the days in which we live. All right, that's number one. Manage your emotions. Be addicted to the word of God. Be addicted to ministry. Just like a drug addict has to have his fix, I got to read my Bible every day. And I got to spend some time with God. Just like someone has to shoot up every day just to stay normal, I got to spend my time with God. All right, manage your emotions, number one. Number two, manage your weaknesses. We talked about this. Everybody has them. I've got them in my life and you have them in yours. Mine might be different than yours because we're all you unique, different people with different, you know, hardwired differently. Let's say it that way, different personalities and so forth. Things you struggle with might not be a problem for me and vice versa. Things I struggle with might not be a problem for you. But the point is everybody has weaknesses and the devil is searching for these things. Okay. He will follow people around for years and years, just taking information, gathering intelligence, looking for the chinks in our armor. And when he finds an area that he perceives he can exploit, this is where he will launch his attacks against us. And if we do not show him that we can successfully resist him, he will continue to hammer away in that area of your life because he knows he's had success there in the past. And there's many, many ways that he can weasel his way in. 
Okay, it could be sexual weakness, it could be emotional weakness, it could be financial weakness. There's all kinds out there. Okay, so he's going to look for the ways where he thinks he can do as much damage as he can for as long as he can. So we have a responsibility to manage our weaknesses. Okay, what the Bible calls the high places. Everybody has high places in their life. The places where we shouldn't go, the places where we know we shouldn't be doing what we know isn't right but we have a flesh that wants to disobey at all times. Listen, you and I got to remember, we live in a flesh and blood body. It is not your friend. You are sleeping with the enemy and he is you. Your flesh is not your friend. Your flesh is dead to sin. It is cursed. It wants to disobey God at every turn. It does not want to study the Bible, does not want to pray. Have you ever noticed every, every time you make a decision to spend time in prayer, something comes up that you think you need to do right away, like edge the lawn? <laughs> something really important that you haven't done since 1978? Yeah, Where, what is that? That's the flesh being the flesh. Okay, so it's going to try to cut you off from the things of God because it's dead to sin. It's a weapon Satan uses. Okay, manage your weaknesses. We talked about good kings in the Old Testament. They were good because they loved the Lord, but they never tore down the high places. We talked about the great kings who did love the Lord, but did see the need of and for tearing down the high places. The one in particular that is my hero is Josiah. I love that guy. You ought to read about him in Second uh, Corinthians, Second Chronicles, chapter thirty-four, and Second Kings, chapter twenty-three. Not for tonight; that's for your study, personally. Then number three, the one that Abe mentioned a few minutes ago during praise and worship: managing our time. Managing our time. Don't waste time. Okay, time is valuable, and we will give account for the time that we spend each and every day. We have minutes. We have hours, we have days, we have months, we have years. All of it is related to time, okay? If I say to you, how old are you? you you'll you tell me, well, I'm 51, I'm 37, I'm 19, what, 19 years old, 51 years old. What a year is 365 days. And Psalms number 90 says we should learn to number our days. In fact, it's a prayer, really. The prayer is, Lord, teach us to number our days. It's a request, God wants us to learn how to number our days, day by day. You can't go back and relive yesterday. That is gone. What you did will be answered for on the day of your judgment, okay? What you did yesterday, you can't go back and change it, okay? If you did things right, you'll be rewarded. If you did things wrong, ask for forgiveness, and God won't hold that against you. But you can't go back. All we've got is today. Every day is a gift. First thing you should say in the morning when you wake up, thank God I've got another day. What I like to do when I wake up in the morning is I'll tell the Lord, thank you, Lord. I'm excited for today because I'm one day closer to seeing you face to face. One day closer. Amen. Because if he tarries and the rapture doesn't take place until we die and leave our body and go home. Okay. We'll see him face to face. It's coming. You know, David made the comment about death, the way of all the earth. He said, I go the way of all the earth. Okay. So. Manage your time. Be consistent. Okay, Jesus said, I didn't give a reference for this one, but John chapter 9, verse 4, he said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night comes when no man can work. Do what you can while you can. Okay, do what you can while you can. You have no guarantee you'll have that freedom tomorrow. Okay, all right, that's managing your time. So let's get into uncharted territory here tonight. We covered those first three, managing our emotions, managing our weaknesses, and managing our time. Number four, manage your choices. You have a free will. 
you are not forced to do anything, okay? Even if you are a prisoner of somebody somewhere, you are not forced. I mean, you can be tortured, you can be influenced, and you can be, you know, uh, oppressed. But at the end of the day, you still make choices. We have choices. We can make them. And Satan cannot violate our free will. It is our greatest spiritual weapon given to us. How many of you believe with me that when, well, let me back up and rephrase. Do you think that God, well, let me rephrase another way. Satan does not, does not want anybody to be saved. I mean, he wants everybody dead, damned, and on their way to hell. That's what he wants, okay? So when we decide to get saved, do you think the devil wants us to accept Jesus, wants us to be born again, wants us to be translated out of his kingdom into the kingdom of God's dear son? Do you think he wants that to happen? Do you think that he will, you know, just, you know, clap and rejoice because we're leaving his kingdom for the kingdom of light and the kingdom of God? Of course not. He'll do everything he can to stop us. But at the end of the day, he can't. You know, he didn't want you to get saved, but when you decided to get saved, there's nothing he can do because your free will is reigns supreme. It is the ultimate final authority. I choose. You made a choice tonight to come to church. No one dragged you in here. You chose to come in here. You know, you spent, you know, talking about managing your time, you're spending this time here with me and with us, worshiping the Lord together corporately and rallying around the word of God. That's a choice you made. You could have stayed home. You could have gone out to Arby's and gorged yourself on seven of those things. But the point is, here you are. Manage your choices. Only believe. Only believe. Only believe. Okay? Uh, Man, so many verses. We don't have time for all this. But uh, let's see. Choose to never give up. There's one. Micah chapter 7, verse 8. Micah chapter 7, verse 8 says, Do not rejoice over me, my enemy, even though I have fallen. I will arise. See, that's a choice, you know. Yeah, you knock me down, but you're not going to keep me down. I choose to get up off the canvas, and the fight goes on. Do not rejoice over me, Satan. You may be rejoicing for the moment, but you won't be rejoicing long term because I'm going to learn from my mistakes. God will dust me off. He has forgiven me because I've asked for it, and I'm going to move on stronger than I was before. Praise the Lord. It's a choice. Okay, here's another one. Uh, Mark chapter 5, verse 37. This was Jesus going to the house of Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue, after being told that the daughter of Jairus had died. If you remember the story, by way of summary, we don't have to go there to turn and read the whole thing. Jesus was on his way somewhere. Jairus came to him and said, Master, please come back with me to my house because my daughter is sick and dying, and I know that if you get there before she dies and pray for her, she'll live. I just know this. I know this, Lord. Please come. So Jesus said, okay, I'll come with you. So he altered his travel plans, you know, changed course. He's following Jairus. Of course, we know the story on the way. You know, the woman with the issue of blood shows up, touches the hem of his garment. You know, power flows out from Jesus. He stops. He says, who touched me? Okay, I felt something come out. I felt power leave me. Of course, it was the lady who touched him. So he stops. He talks to her, ministers to her. Meanwhile, Jairus is just standing there. Remember, he knows his daughter is dying. I don't know about you, but if I knew my, my child was at the point of death, and I believe that the guy that I'm bringing back to my house to pray for her or my son has the power to heal my dying child, I might not be so, you know, uh, inclined to just stand there and wait while Jesus ministers to a total stranger. I'd be like, come on, man, we got time, you know, we got to get moving here. 
you know, when I left the house, my girl was almost dead. My son was almost dead. We got to get moving. No, we don't have time for this. Tell her to come along. You can minister to her later. But we got to get to my daughter. We got to get to my job, my son, you know, because they're dying. Now, if I'm Jairus, that's what I'm thinking. But to his credit, he said nothing. He just stood there, kept his mouth shut. And then people showed up from Jairus' house and said, we're so sorry. It's too late. Your daughter is dead. Don't trouble Jesus anymore. To which Jesus replied and said, fear not, only believe. Fear not. Don't be afraid, he said, only believe. Now, you can imagine what's going through Jairus' mind. It's like, what in the world just, what, what just happened here? Who is this? And what does that mean? Fear not, only believe. I mean, his head is spinning. You know, he's crying. He's, he's grief-stricken. But he's, he's moving ahead in pure faith. He's following Jesus. He, you know, as far as he knows, there's no hope, man. The daughter's gone. Okay, and when Jesus shows up, okay, all the weepers and the wailers are there. They had time to gather back in those days. You may not know this, but it was the custom during funerals like this to hire professional criers. I'm not kidding. Professional weepers and wailers who were paid to come in there and cry and weep and wail. And they were there in full force, crying and weeping over this dead girl who was upstairs and on her bed, the Bible says. Okay, so Jesus shows up, and there they are, weeping and wailing. Is it your time? Is it your shift? Or is I'm, I still got 10 more minutes of weeping or what? You know, it's like that. And so, you know, he says, what do you people, what, what, what's all the two for? The girl is not dead. She's only sleeping. And they laughed at him. They laughed at him. And the Bible says they laughed him to scorn. This was not a happy laughter. This was the derisive kind, the, the contemptuous kind. Like, who do you think you are laughing at him? You know, she's not sleeping. She's dead. We know she's dead. She's upstairs on the bed. She's been dead. How dare you insult the parents with such insensitivity to make such an outlandish statement, blah, blah, blah. So the Bible says Jesus put them out. He said, get out, all of you, all of you weepers, wailers, and criers, get out, okay? When you manage your choices, you have to remove the doubters from your life. Get rid of them, okay? You want to be sharp in faith? Get rid of all the Sunday morning, half-hearted, lukewarm, half-baked people claiming to be Christian. You can love them from a distance. You can still keep in touch, maybe every so often a phone call or a cup of coffee, but stay away from them, okay? If you've got a bunch of people right now in your life that are a bunch of Sunday morning believers, love them and dump them and find some real friends who will help you draw closer to the Lord. They are your real friends. The others are just... Tools of the devil waiting to be used. Puppets of Satan. They may not even know what's going on. And they probably, you know, have no idea they're being used by the devil to hopefully bring you to a place of lukewarmness like they are. See, the Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. So be sure your company is good. Okay, be very selective with who your friends are. Very selective. Okay, you can love everybody. You don't need to be mean to people, but you need to be very selective about who you decide to hang with. Okay, Jesus put all these people. I said, get out of here. All these weepers and waiters, get out, get out, get out. And then he took the father and the mother and Peter, James and John, the five of them. And they went in there. Okay, and spoke to the girl and she rose up right up off the deathbed. But the first thing he did was he got rid of the unbelievers. And if you go read Acts chapter number eight, I believe when Peter prayed for Dorcas. Otherwise named Tabitha. If I had a choice, I'd choose Tabitha, not Dorcas, but whatever. The point is, he put them out too. Where, where, where did Peter learn this from? He watched Jesus do it. 
He watched Jesus do it in Mark chapter 5. And when he was in a very similar situation with Tabitha dead on the bed and the people weeping and wailing and showing all the coats that Tabitha made while she was knitting and whatever she was doing there with the crochet, uh, you know, he put them out too. Where did he learn that from? He watched Jesus do it. Okay, get rid of the doubters in your life. Manage your choices so that when you have to make choices, you're surrounded by people who also make good choices, sound choices. Uh, people that will support you when you're standing and your back is up against the wall, when the doctor says you're going to die, when the banker says you're going under and we're going to take your house away, when the business people say you're going to go under, all of this. When you're up against the wall, you need to surround yourself with people of like precious faith. Get rid of all the others, okay? Don't don't call them on the phone. Don't send them text messages or tweets, tweets or Twitter posts or Facebook messages or whatever. Just get all, get them out of your life, okay? Manage your choices. Be single-minded. Double-minded people, the Bible says, are unstable in all of their ways. And they will receive nothing from the Lord. Do not be double-minded. Be single-minded. I am going to trust God or die. And really, just, you know, death is nothing to you know, be afraid of. The Bible says it's an enemy that's been placed under our feet. Death is actually our ticket home. Okay? It's the transition it's the transition event from this life to the real world, the perfect world. Amen. You know, I mean, anybody that's ever seen heaven and came back said, why did you call me back? I didn't want to come back. I mean, you know, this is why they never asked me to do funerals, because I'll get up there and I'll say, you know, if they're Christian, that is, I'll say, you know, why are all you people crying? This person isn't here. The body's here, but they're not here. They went home. They're with Jesus. They're with Jesus and the angels. They're running and jumping and dancing and clapping. And if they had a chance to come back and be with you again, they'd say no. So dry your eyes, dear heart, and think about them rather than just you. That's why they never want me at the funeral parlor. Yeah, yeah. They invite anybody to the funeral, but just keep keys out. Keep him in the parking lot. We don't need that. All right. Thank you. Choose to never give up. Choose to let God's word be final authority. Okay, manage your choices and get rid of the doubters in your life. Okay, don't just, you know, think about who you are friends with. Just think about it tonight. Who are your friends? How dedicated are they to excellence in Christ? How committed are they to the work of the Lord? How on fire are they for the Lord? Okay, if they're not, you need to just move on. God will give you a whole bunch of new friends. Good ones. Amen. All right, that's number four, manage your choices, okay? Number five, this one is very, very important because it's very, very deceptive. Manage your zealousness, your zeal for the Lord. Manage it, control it, channel it. Let God be God in your life the way he wants to be, not the way you want him to be. See, let me explain it to you this way. There are many wonderful things a person can do for Jesus because there's needs everywhere at all levels of humanity. There's orphanages for homeless people. There's drug uh, recovery centers for drug addiction. There's, you know, halfway houses for alcoholics. There's all kinds of ways. There's missions work. There's medical missions. There's all kinds of things you can do for the Lord. Many, many things you can do. There's food banks. There's church, local church outreaches where people give away their used clothing or whatever, car washes, all kinds of things you can do. But there's only one thing God wants you to do as a member of the body of Christ. That's called his perfect will. That's what you have to find, and that's where you need to stay. 
It's like track and field people running a race. They have to stay in their lane, the short distance racers. Okay. Now the long distance racers, they kind of group up and they kind of run in, in a group, you know, the long distance people. But for the 100 meter dash, the, the once or two around, you know, the, the relays, the hurdles, they have to stay in their lane. If they get out of their lane, they're disqualified. Okay, and what happens is if you don't manage your zealousness, you can become disqualified because Satan is very smart. Okay, if he cannot wipe you out or at least neutralize you with attacks against you mentally, he'll try to neutralize you with attacks against you physically. And if he can't do it there, then he backs up the plan C, which is trying to use your own zealousness against you. Okay, remember, we are spirits living in bodies. Spirits with souls living in bodies. So there's three ways the devil can try to get in and neutralize us. First of all, he wants to kill us. If he can't do that, the next step for him would be at least to neutralize us so that we're of none effect for the kingdom of God. Basically, we're just bodies and chairs on Sunday morning in someone's church. Okay, uh, so if, you know, if that's the case, it's not the best for him, but it's, it's the next best thing. At least he knows he, you know, we're not going to be out there winning souls. We're just bodies and chairs. All right. That's where most churches are. That's where most people are in churches. But if you want to be a wave maker, a boat rocker and a shaker and a mover for Jesus, then you become a threat to the kingdom of darkness. Now he's going to pay attention to you and me. And he's going to try to shut you down. Okay. Now he's got three avenues. He's got the mind or the soul, which is the the mind, the will, and the emotions. He can try to mess you up there. If that doesn't work, he can try your body. He can try to make you sick or create accidents or tragedies in the carnal realm, the flesh and blood realm, the body. And if that doesn't work, then he tries to control your zealousness and move you out of position by pushing you in a direction that you think is God, but really isn't. And what happens is you lose your anointing. What happens is the protective umbrella uh, is removed from you. You move out from under God's perfect will into his permissive will, and that is a very dangerous place to try to operate in the name of Jesus. You are vulnerable, and I'll show you why. Okay, now, uh, let's see. Let's go to Proverbs 25. Let's go there. Proverbs 25, verse 28. Let's look at a passage here. Okay. Proverbs chapter number 25 and verse number 28. The last verse of the chapter, I do believe. This is a great, great statement here. Proverbs 25, verse 28. Okay. Remember, I'm reading from the New King James. Okay. Other translations translate this differently, but I like the way the New King James, New King James translation translates it. Okay, the 28th verse, Proverbs 25, 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit, pay attention. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Now, remember, when this was written back in those days, the first line of defense for a city was the wall around the city. Remember Jericho and the walls? Every city had them. That was the first line of defense against an invading army was the wall, the wall and the gates. Okay, this is why Jericho uh, was such an impregnable fortress because the walls were so huge. Okay, as an example. So according to this verse, if you don't rule over your own spirit, notice ruling over, it, it didn't say ruling over your soul and it didn't say ruling over your body. 
Although we're supposed to control our flesh, obviously, and we're supposed to keep our mind renewed to the word. Yes, all of that is true. But we're also responsible for ruling over our own spirit. What does that mean? It means our spirit is full of zealousness for God. Our spirit wants to obey God. Our spirit wants to, you know, be involved. But if you're not careful, you'll get involved in all the wrong places. We've got people pastoring churches that are not anointed to pastor. But they just, I don't know, were invited to pastor and they just did it. They never checked it with God, whatever, and they're pastoring and they don't have a, a heart for it. Okay, if God wanted me to pastor a local church, let me just use myself as an example. He would have to change the grace that's on my life because right now I operate as an apostle, an apostolic gift. That is a different grace. It's a different type of grace. It's a different level of grace. I am not a local shepherd. I don't have that grace. And it would be a mistake of monumental proportions for me at this point to take a church and try to pastor it on a day-to-day basis unless God chose to change the grace and you know he's he can do whatever he wants but at at the present time that would be a mistake for me because i don't have that mentality i don't have that gift i don't have that grace okay so i have to stay in my lane i've been i've been invited to go to countries many of them all over the world for conferences and missions work and i appreciate the offer and i say thank you and i respectfully uh decline because i know where i'm supposed to be my race my lane is the philippines I stay there. I know where I'm graced. I know where I'm supposed to be. And I stay where I am anointed. I stay in my lane. Even in the Philippines, I've had opportunities to take up and start orphanages and other things. And I respectfully decline once again, because even there, I know what I'm supposed to do. And I know what I'm not supposed to do. Point is, I have to, and you have to rule over your own spirit. Because if you don't, you are compared to a city Broken down. Broken down means chaos, confusion, and no organization. You're broken down. The city infrastructure is in a mess. It's in chaos and confusion. There's no rhyme, reason, or order to the, to the state of affairs inside the city. It's broken down. And notice, without walls, you have no defense. Your walls are down. Satan can just come in there and take you all over the place, get you involved in, you know, some kind of medical mission in, in, in the Sudan, you know, and then move over to Portugal, then move over to Argentina, then move over to, you know, the Greenland people, Iceland, you know, and all the time you're out of position. This was the problem with the Apostle Paul. This is another message for another time. But if you study, he got himself into trouble because he kept reversing the order of his ministry. He was responsible to go to the Gentiles first, kings second, Jews third. Read this in Acts chapter 9. Gentiles, kings, Jews. In that order. He kept reversing the order because he loved the Jews so much. He, everywhere, you know, read the book of Acts. Everywhere he went, the first place he went, he made a beeline for the synagogue. Because he loved the Jews. He kept reversing the order and it got him into trouble. It got him out of position. God tried to stop him twice. With words from the Holy Spirit, he went right through every roadblock because he had to be in Jerusalem for the feast. Mm -hmm. Had to be there. And Satan was waiting. He was arrested at the feast. He was imprisoned and he was never set free. He wrote to the Roman church. You can read it there in the book of Romans. He was intending to go to Spain. Mentions it to the Romans. He said, after I see you, I'm going to go on to Spain. Well, he never made it to Spain. The reason he never made it to Spain was because he's in jail. The reason he's in jail is because he was out of position. He was running in someone else's race. Go back and look at the New Testament. Peter was called to the Jews. Paul was called to the Gentiles. 
And Paul kept reversing the order because he loved the Jews so much. It got him into trouble. He was not ruling over his own spirit. He was without walls. He was defenseless, and the devil used it against him, and he spent the rest of his life in jail. Now, he wrote epistles from jail, but he could have written, wrote, he could have wrote those epistles from Spain, from anywhere else. He didn't have to write them from jail. But the point is he was immobilized because he did not manage his choices. Amen. Okay. Manage the choices, and he did not manage his zealousness, number five. Okay. Do only what God says no matter what others think, okay? Uh, other examples, I could spend more time here, but I don't have the time. Another example is Balaam in the Old Testament. You know, Balaam the prophet, he made a statement. He said, I cannot go beyond the word of the Lord to do less or more. That was a great statement by Balaam. Unfortunately, he didn't listen to his own advice. He fell away later and was killed with the unbelievers. Go back and read it from the book of Numbers. He was killed with the unbelievers when, the, uh, when they fought with the Jews. He was in the wrong camp at the wrong time. But at one point, he was a, a mighty anointed prophet of God. And he made a statement during that time. He said, I can't go beyond the word of the Lord to do less or more. Just do what God told you to do. Don't do any more. All right. Another example. I, the Holy Spirit just wants to hone on this for a minute. John chapter number five. I believe it's John chapter five. Jesus at the pool of Bethesda. The Bible says the pool of Bethesda was a descending pool with porches descending down to a central pool. Just try to picture this in your mind. A round central pool with ascending steps all around it, going up, you know, like, uh, like tiers in a stadium, okay? But it's a cir circumferential uh, configuration. Down in the center is a pool. And the Bible says the pool, the whole area was full of sick people, real sick people, waiting for the moving of the water. Because the Bible says at a certain time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir the water, and the first person in was instantly healed. So you can imagine when the water got stirred, the fight was on, man, for people to get in there. Whoever got in there first got healed. And Jesus shows up with his disciples. Remember, everywhere he went, he had 12 guys with him. So he doesn't just show up. He shows up with the 12 people. And he stands there and surveys the whole scene. There's hundreds of people here sick. They've been there for years and years. And the Bible says he sees one guy, one, and he goes to the one man, a man who was crippled for 38 or 39 years. I forget which, 38 or 39 years, unable to walk. 39 years, I believe. I'll say 39 for the sake of not looking to be sure, but 39. And Jesus goes right to him. Now, notice, he's got to go to him, meaning he's got to step around, step over, Step aside, step between people, excuse me, pardon me, look out, move, move. can you move? Because they're all sick. They're all laying there. Okay, they don't have seats. You know, they don't have, you know, row H, seat number eight. You know, it's, it's just people laying around. You know, they're just they're all sick, coughing and, you know, puking and everything else. They're all sick people. You can imagine the stench. And so he goes, he steps over, steps around, and the other 12 guys are following to the one guy and has this conversation with him. He says, you know, do you want to be made whole? The guy said, yeah, I've been here for 39 years, but by the time I get down to the pool, someone else jumps in ahead of me, and I'm out of luck for another year. And I've been here for 39 years. Jesus says, never mind any of that. Take up your bed and go home. In front of hundreds of other sick people. Don't you know they're all listening to this? I mean, they don't have their cell phone in front of them, you know, playing games. I mean, they know they're, who is this guy, you know, coming in here with 12 people, and he's talking to this one guy. I know him. He's been here for longer than me. He can't walk. What's he talking to him for? I mean, they know what's going on. They're listening. And he says, you know, take up your bed and go home. And in front of all the other sick people, 
this man who they know can't walk stands up, picks up his bed and walks right out. Don't you know every hand in the place goes up? Uh, over here, Jesus, over here, sir, rabbi, I'm next. I've been here. He was here 39 years, but I've been here 45. I want my healing. You know, don't you know people being people? And what did Jesus do? He, you know, like, what would we do? You know, let's line them up, get the ushers, line them up, you know, get the catchers, get the, you know, cloths for the ladies if they fall over, you know, all this, you know, whatever, get the whatever. No, he just turns around, says, bye-bye, walks out and leaves the rest of them there and doesn't touch a single one of them. That is pretty remarkable when you think about it. Didn't touch another one. Somebody says, why? Because God didn't tell him to. He said over and over, I only do what my father tells me to do. Well, why didn't God tell him to minister to all the sick people? I have no idea. Talk to God. He'll tell you. He hasn't told me. The point is, Jesus had enough discipline to do what he was told to do, and that's it, and left. Hmm? Rule over your own zealousness. If you don't, you are the city broken down without walls. That's number five. Number six. This one, we could spend a month on this one. Manage your mouth. Oh, dear God, the little hole below our nose. This thing gets, into more, gets us into more trouble because we don't know when to shut up. But, it, I, you know, I've been around a lot of, well, not a lot, but I've been around a number of powerful men and women of God, mightily used, heavily anointed, doing great things. People like Brother Hagen, I've been around him personally. I've been around Brother Hagen Jr., his son. Uh, extensively, I've been around some people that have really been used by God. And there's one common denominator. They're all different people, different personalities and so on, even different nationalities. But one common denominator that I have noticed is they don't talk too much. They're really very quiet to the point where you really have to pry out words and conversation. They just don't want to talk unless they absolutely have to, unless they start talking about the things of God. Then you can't shut them up. But what they have learned is what we need to learn. They have learned the, the value of mouth management. They've learned when to speak and when to shut up. And most Christians have never learned this. Okay, they're just always talking. Okay, you don't have to talk all the time. You know, the Bible says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. All else proceeds of evil. If I may paraphrase, learn to shut up. Say what you need to say and you don't have to say anything else. Manage your mouth. Be very careful about what comes out of that hole below your nose. Because Proverbs 18:21 says, death and life is in the power of your tongue. And the Bible says, by our words, we are justified. And by our words, we are condemned. That's, that puts a pretty high premium upon words. Okay, so be very careful. Okay. Animals can make sounds, you know, fish and birds, they can communicate, they can, they can communicate with one another, but nobody can speak words except us. This is why we are made in the image and likeness of God. We can speak words and we can create with our words. No one else, no other creature God created can do this. Angels can't create. They can speak, but they don't create. Okay. Only we, only we have that power. Okay. All right. Manage your mouth. Look, I'll give you one example of this. Look at uh, Ecclesiastes chapter Number five, okay? Ecclesiastes chapter number five. We're not far away, okay? Ecclesiastes, right next to Proverbs, chapter five. And let's see. Yeah, let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter five and verse one, okay? Chapter five and verse one. 
Now, Ecclesiastes is the great book of confusion. Proverbs is the great book of wisdom. Ecclesiastes is the great book of confusion because Solomon, you know, when he wrote Proverbs, he had his act together, and then about 900 concubines later, he didn't know which end was up, and that's when he wrote Ecclesiastes. Now, you know, concubines will do that to you. So Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Walk prudently when you go to the house of God. And draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they do evil. What is the sacrifice of fools? Let's keep reading and find out. Verse 2. Do not be rash with your mouth, and let not your heart utter anything hastily before God, for God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Think before you speak. And when you're done with what you have to say, shut up and don't say anything else. Be like the people that are wise enough to manage their mouth correctly and give God something to work with rather than giving the devil something to work with. With all the unnecessary conversation that goes on and on and on. You know, there's just, there's some point where you just need to walk away from people. You know, Jesus never argued with people. He debated to a point and then he said, I'm out of here. I've said what needs to be said, either accept me or reject me, but I got things to do. I'm gone. I'm out of here. And he'd live. He'd leave them and let them argue among themselves, okay? Look at verse 6. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. (laughs) I love that one. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin. Why? Because James chapter 3 says this, friends. If you can control your mouth, you can control your flesh, okay? Meaning, if you have a problem with your flesh, if there's an area of your flesh that you have to deal with, that you have a problem with, the problem is not that area of the flesh. The problem is an uncontrolled tongue. Because the Bible says if you can control the tongue, you can control your whole body. Once again, the premium is on mouth management, controlling your tongue. And I've been guilty of this just as much as you. Many times God has told me to shut up. Quit talking. The more you talk, the more you're getting yourself into trouble. You're giving the devil free ammunition. Don't do that. Okay? Shut up. Say what I tell you to say and be quiet after that. And I've got something to work with. You keep talking, you're going to give ammo to the devil and he's going to be, you know, he'll oblige you. He'll oblige you. He'll take it and use it against you. Don't let that happen. So manage your mouth. Be very, very careful with the things you say. Okay? All right, then number seven, last of the seven, and this one also very challenging, but very helpful, very necessary. Manage your heart. Now, what does that mean? Okay, learn to love like God does. Manage your heart. Be a loving Christian person. Don't be a judgmental Christian, you know, always choosing to look at the faults of other people. You know how it is, the, uh, the Christian police the ones that roam around, you know, judging everybody. Your skirt's too short, your makeup's too heavy, your hair's not long enough, all the things that they go through. I feel sorry for the women, mostly, because it's usually directed at them. But the point is, people are always roaming around judging everybody else. To which, I would say, you know, you've got enough issues in your life. Why don't you just back off? Because if we had to chronicle all of your issues, it'd be probably a lot longer than the people that you're pointing your finger at. Anyway... Manage your heart. Learn to love unlovely people. Jesus said, there's no reward for loving lovely people. That's no challenge there. It's easy to love people who love you. 
it's easy to go to church on Sunday morning with people of like precious faith who love the Lord. And we're all singing the same songs and we're all, you know, hugging each other and having fellowship and all the things we do. But it's a lot harder when you're surrounded by people who hate your guts because you're Christian. Can we love them just like Jesus? I have to tell you, Jesus on the cross I mean, if you understand what crucifixion was in the Roman day, if you understand what he went through, the passion, I mean, you know, it would most men would have been dead before they ever got to the cross, the way they, the, the way they beat him. I mean, most men would have never made it to the cross. He would have been dead before that. But Jesus was such a strong man, you know, strongest man that ever lived. You know, he endured the whippings, the floggings, the slappings, the beatings. They ripped his beard right out of his face. They jammed the crown of thorns. They didn't just place it on his head. They rammed it down on top of him. These were the victor thorns. These things were this long. They rammed them down on top of his head. They slapped him. They blindfolded him, you know. I'm telling you, most men would have been dead before he ever got the cross on his shoulder. And then he had to carry that thing up the hill with his back whipped wide open. Then they nailed him, nailed him to the cross, drove nails through his hands and feet. You could hear the screaming. When Romans did this to victims, you could hear the screaming for miles. And he never uttered a word. Kept his mouth shut. When they drove the nails through all of this and from the cross with them still at the base of the cross, laughing at him, making fun of him, wagging their heads and saying, you said you could destroy the temple in three days. Why don't you come on down off the cross and we'll believe you? Ha 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 ha. Like that. And from the cross, he says, father, forgive them. God almighty. You talk about maturity. You talk about seeing a bigger picture in the midst of anguish beyond description. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I got to tell you, I'm on the journey, but I have not arrived at that level yet. No, 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 sir. I'm trying my best to be like Jesus, but I haven't arrived at that level. You know, if I was up on that cross and they were laughing at me like that, I would have said, you know, instead of father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I'm up there saying, Buddy, you got three days to clear out of town because I'm coming back. And when I'm coming back, honey, I'm looking for you. I'm going to smoke your rear end if I find you anywhere near Jerusalem. But that's just me. Point is, you know, immature, carnal people, you know, they take us to school every day. Immature, carnal people, they take us to school every day. It's a challenge to love unlovely people. You know, and I'm getting better. You know, it used to be I would just lose it. My day would be ruined when I'm around, you know, some clown disguised as a Christian. But, you know, I'm getting better. Praise the Lord. Now I'll just say, you know, God bless you. God bless you. And, you know, if they're usually the obstinate people that they are, in most cases they'll say, what? For what? Why do you look? Well, the Bible says to love unlovely people. You are the unloveliest person I have ever met. So carry on. Continue to be you so that I continue to practice loving, unlovely people. Praise the Lord. (sighs) What else? I mean, you know, 1 Corinthians 13, the verse is there. You know, if without love, you're just a clanging symbol. You're just a lot of noise. If you have all faith to remove mountains but don't have love, you're nothing. You know, if you can prophesy up one side and down the other but don't have love, you're nothing. I mean, he goes on and on and on, basically saying you are worthless to the kingdom of God if you don't learn how to love like God does. You know, we're not all like Jesus. We haven't all arrived where he was like I just described, but we should be on the journey. We should be getting better at doing this as time goes by, okay? 
it shouldn't be the other way around, where we become more hard-hearted, more cynical, more pessimistic about, you know, the body of Christ is full of people that are at all levels of, of growth and immaturity. We have to be able to adjust, okay? Not everybody is at our lofty levels of maturity. Some people, believe it or not, are a little bit lower than we are. And so you got to adjust. You can't just, you know, expect them to be as loving and as mature and as together as you might be. We have to be able to adjust without letting their immaturity wreck and ruin our day. Because if that's the case, our ruin, our day will be wrecked and ruined most days because they're just everywhere. Okay. And we need to move beyond that. So manage your heart. Okay. The point is that all of these things that we talk about here bring us to the place where we become and maintain membership in what God calls the congregation of the mighty. And the last point on number seven, manage your heart. Holy Spirit doesn't want me to forget this. Love tells the truth to people. Okay? This this mentality, this mindset that we are supposed to withhold the truth from people for fear of offending them in some way is straight from the pit of hell. You do not love people by holding back the truth from them. That is not love. That is selfishness. That's saying, I don't want to be persecuted. I might be yelled at. I might be sworn at. I might be slapped if I tell someone that they're lost and on their way to hell. So because I don't want to be slapped, I don't want to be sworn at, and you know, I don't want them cussing at me and spitting at me, I'm going to not say anything. That's called selfishness. You're more concerned about you than you are about that person's soul. And I've been there. God's you know, nailed me on this one many times myself. I'm not telling you something that doesn't challenge me like it challenges you. There are times when God tells me to witness to people, and I don't want to do it. I got things to do. I'm busy, whatever, and I just don't want to, you know, I don't want to. God will tell me, you know, hey, I need you now. I need you now. Like I said earlier today, one of the best ways to talk to people when you don't really feel like it is to just ask them, is there something I can pray about with you? Do you have a minute? And they'll say, for what? And I'll say, you know, I just feel impressed to ask, is there anything I can pray with you about? Something going on in your life maybe you'd like prayer for? You'd be amazed at how many people will answer in the positive and say, yeah, yeah, you know, there is. I'm going through a time. My, my wife and I are going through a difficult patch. Um, I, I lost my job or I'm about to lose. Yeah, I, I, I need some help. And we pray. And it opens a door. Many times they'll let you start talking when you approach them in that way. But the point is you have to be willing to do it and tell people the truth when the opportunity and the door opens for you to do so. Okay, there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. People need to be told. Well, I don't believe that. Well, I told you. You can't stand before the Lord and say you didn't hear. I told you that you have a heaven to gain and a hell to lose, and there's only one way to heaven. His name is Jesus. Okay, there, you know, it's very politically correct to, you know, count the daisies and look at the sky and count the butterflies and, you know, we're all children of God. No, we aren't. But that's very politically acceptable and politically correct. We have to live beyond all of that. Okay? Yeah, people will get mad at you. People will slam the door in your face. People will tear up your tracks. Yeah, all of that will happen. But along the way, you might actually get some people born again. And along the way, they might turn around and win tens of thousands of people, well beyond your knowledge of what's happening out there. And when you stand before the Lord, all these unknown people will walk up to you and say, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And you'll say, for what? I don't know you. I don't know you. And they'll say, yeah, you don't know me, but you witnessed to this guy over at, you know, Arby's. 
because God told you to, and you, you told him you loved him, and you prayed with him. His life was changed. He went off to Bible school, found me in some halfway house somewhere, witnessed to me, and I got saved, and I, all my family are here, and, I, and it's all because of you at Arby's. You know, something so spiritual, but it's something so meaningful to the Lord. So, in the last days, my friends, congregation of the mighty, you can make a choice to be a member in good standing or to stand on the outside looking in. You can be a member of God's special forces or you can be a member of God's forces. I choose to be a member of the special forces. Amen? Yeah, uh, you know, listen, I'm not a featured speaker at Brother Big's conference, Sister Satellite, you know, because this is not what they want to hear. They want, you know, stroke me, you, 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 you know, the new you, the better you, the complete you, the happy you, the prosperous you. It's all about you. And so they'll sell zillions of books. Okay. But at the end of the day, it's the people in this congregation that are the ones that get things done for Jesus. Amen. Yeah. They're the ones that he, he stands in the midst of. Okay. So father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you once again for Lord, the opportunity to examine our heart, examine our life and, and make adjustments if we have to. Father, we thank you tonight. You know our life. You know we can't fool you. You know what's going on in my life, in, our, in everybody's life. You know, there are no secrets. Everything we do out in the open or in the secret can be seen by you. You know everything. So help us. Let us be honest with where we are right now. And if we have to make adjustments, and if we've just never really understood that there's a congregation of the mighty to be a part of, but now we know and we want to be a part of this, help us to make the adjustments in our life. Those areas of management we've discussed from your word. Help us, Lord God, so that we can manage all of these areas in our life successfully and live a life that's meaningful to you. We thank you, Lord, for this. Help us to avoid all the deception, all the um, detours that are out there that the devil places in our way. Help us to avoid them, to see them and avoid them. Help us, Lord, to be uh, zeroed in, focused upon your perfect will for our life. And help us to flow and to flourish there and nowhere else. Thank you, Father. We thank you, Lord, for this in Jesus' name. Just take a minute with me in the, in the silence of the moment. Just examine your own heart. Okay? You know what's going on in your life. I don't need to know. I'm not God. It's not my responsibility anyway. But I know in my life what's going on. I know that there are areas in my life I can do better. I can do better. Okay. I mean, I'm the preacher and I know I got areas in my life I can do better. You know, how about you? Are there places in your life that you need to shore up areas in your life where some of this has rung a bell, struck a chord inside of you? Okay. Thank you, Jesus. Managing our emotions, managing our time, managing our weaknesses, whatever they may be, managing our choices. Managing our zealousness, our zeal for God. You know, are we where we're supposed to be and nowhere else? Managing our mouth. Do we control our tongue? Thank you, Father. And what about our heart? Are we loving like Jesus loved? Are we on that, are we on that journey together? Is the Holy Spirit working with us to help us love more like Jesus? Like he did? I know I've got a ways to go. But I am committed to the journey, and I want to get better. I hope you do too. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. 
Such potential is in this church. As I have said to you before, through this servant and through others as well, this church has been positioned and placed here in this city to affect the world. Not just this city, not just even the state, but the world. You need to see things from where I sit, not from where you sit. You need to see how I see you and what my word declares about you. And you need to accept my offer and accept my invitation to come on in and join up with those select few who are members of this congregation, which my Bible calls, my word calls, the congregation of the mighty. Be a member in good standing. Come up hither and commune with me. Let me take you to walk upon the high places of the earth so that you can really fulfill your destiny and find your legacy and leave behind a trail of glory, a trail of light for people to follow that lead them straight to me. Don't listen to people. Don't listen to what they say about what they think or what they think about you. You listen to me. I'm the one that formulated you. I'm the one that hardwired you. I know you and I know what you're capable of and I know what this church can do collectively in the city and corporately around the world, one member at a time. So don't think to yourself that this is a small and significant work just because it may seem to be in terms of numbers, because I'm telling you by the spirit of God, it is not. And your best days are not behind you. Your best days are all ahead of you. And I'm going to do a great work through this church and through you as a member of this church. Don't shortchange yourself. Realize and recognize and understand every one of you, if you call this your church home, that you have a part to play and you've been hand-selected and positioned by the Spirit of God to make this church as efficient and to, as, and to be as proficient in sharing my word as it can possibly be. Not just with messages, but with power that confirms them. Your best days are ahead of you. Fear and terror, they shall surround you more and more. Darkness will become darker, but this church will grow brighter and brighter and brighter. And many, many lives out there right now that are lost and undone in sin will find hope, find direction, and find peace when they find this church and you as members thereof. Don't accept lukewarmness. Don't accept compromise. Don't accept apathy, laziness, or lethargy. Come up and be different than everybody else. And be a soldier that I can be proud to work with, to arm and to equip and to send forth to do battle in my name without apology, without shame. And I will back what you say and confirm what you say with signs and wonders following. Your best days are all ahead of you. Rejoice for this in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Good word. Good word from God. I like the part where he said, sometimes you get in the spirit, you don't hear a lot that's coming out your mouth. You're just kind of concentrating on making sure you're saying what he wants you to say. But I did hear, he, you know, it, this is, it doesn't have to be a big church to be a significant work. That's the part I, I pulled from that. And the, the best days of our church here are ahead of us, not behind us. Amen. Ahead of us, not behind us. Okay? You know, just quit looking at empty seats and, and, you know, cars not in the parking lot. Quit looking at all of that and look at what we have, what we are, what we can do just together. Amen? Amen. Yeah.
just together. And it's, it doesn't have to be some monumental thing, just little things that the Lord tells you to do. Little things can become great things. Amen? Just doing our part. And that's what God wants us to come away with uh, from these meetings here today. Okay? It's a great, great message. A congregation called the Congregation of the Mighty. I want to be a member in good standing. And I want to maintain membership. I don't want to fall away just because I lack the discipline to keep my sword sharp. Praise the Lord. Because our flesh never wants to cooperate. Remember that. Our flesh never wants to cooperate. You have to control it. Okay? Just like going down to the donut shop, man. You know, you eat one donut today. That thing, that body wants 12 donuts tomorrow. It's just the way things are. You have to control that thing. Okay? Praise the Lord. So, in the light of the moment, the power of the Lord is present to heal. If you need healing, I want you to come up here right now so we can lay hands upon you. Or if you just need something from the Lord, just, you know, a word of encouragement or something that will help you uh, seal the deal, the decisions you're making in your heart, uh, step up, stand up and step up front, okay? Let me lay hands on you. There's power present. I can sense it. I can feel it. And I want to let the Lord pass that on to you, okay? Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Glory be to God. All right. All right. That'll be. All right. I'll do that. Remind me to do that, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Okay. Anyone else? A few people still coming. I'll wait for you, sir. Bless you. Thank you, Father. Now, if you're not up here for something in particular, you can take a seat if you want to, but please don't be texting, talking, you know, fellowshipping. Leave all that for later. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit, okay? Because remember, if it was you standing up here, you'd appreciate people, you know, standing in faith with you instead of talking about where they're going to go for an ice cream cone after service, okay? Don't do that. Just let's stay in the mood. Let's stay in the moment, okay? Thank you, Father. Everybody here, you're here for something from God, okay? I don't need to know unless God shares something or shows me something, then I'm not going to ask, okay? I don't need to know. I just want you to be in faith with me that when I lay hands on you, the power passes from me to you. It's like the hands are conduits, okay? When I lay hands on people, my wife will be with me. Then that power passes from us into you and does what you're here for that power to do, okay? And uh, I want you to understand that nothing is impossible for God. All he needs from us is our faith. Okay? That's all he requires. Just our faith. All right? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for everyone in this line. Thank you, Father. No weapon formed against us can prosper. We speak to every ailment, every sickness, every disease, every problem. And we curse them from the roots in the name of Jesus and command them to die and dry up and shrivel away. We thank you, Father God, for this in the name of Jesus. Lord, you paid a price for their healing. By your stripes, they were. We were healed. So we are going to appropriate what you did for us, the pain you endured for us, so that we can walk away from this line healed and made whole 
answers to our prayers in the name of Jesus. Satan, you are bound. Your demons of hell are bound in the name of Jesus, and your assignments are canceled. And when we lay hands upon my brothers and my sisters, the power of God will pass from us to them, and you have nothing to say about it in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, so there will be, uh, there will be an usher standing behind you. I don't want you to be thinking about falling. Just think about receiving, okay? Uh, people don't get it because they fall or they don't not get it because they stand. I just want you to be open to the Spirit of God. I mean, if he wants to knock you on the floor for a while, let him. I've been there many times. It's a nice place to be, okay? If he wants to operate on you on the floor for a few minutes, let him do that, okay? But you don't have to fall, but, you know, I'm just saying just be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Let him be God, okay? Someone will stand behind you. You're not going to fall back and hurt yourself, all right? I won't lay hands upon you until someone is there behind you, okay? So in the name of Jesus, I want you to receive. When I lay hands upon you with my wife, you're going to get what you're here to get for your son. Jesus' name, be healed. Thank you, Father. That's the healing power of God, young man. In the name of Jesus, receive your healing and be whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, my sister, receive your healing. Praise God. Be healed. In the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, for that healing power. How you doing there, Ron? In Jesus' name, be healed. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, be healed. It's power of God, sister. There it is. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Be healed, my sister, in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, be healed. Glory to God. Receive your healing in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, receive your healing. Be healed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, receive your healing. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of the Lord, be healed. Thank you, Father. Jesus' name, be healed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, be healed in Jesus' name. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, receive your healing. Be healed. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus. Be well in the name of Jesus. Be whole in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus, receive your healing. Be healed in Jesus' name. Praise God. In the name of Jesus, receive your healing. Be healed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Amen. All right. Praise the Lord. Father, come over here. Join me. In the name of Jesus, receive your healing. Glory. Ha! Thank you, Lord. That's God power. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Let's just wait on the Lord for a minute. Just wait on the Lord for a minute. Let's not be in a hurry, okay? Thank you, Lord. Glory to Jesus. Glory to God. Glory to God. Brad, can you come here, please? You and Courtney both. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Mm-hmm. I see that. I see that. All right. Honey, you take Courtney's hand. I'm going to take Brad's hand here. 
All right, in Jesus' name, my power will pass from hand to hand. I want you to lay hands on people more than you have before. Don't be ashamed to do it because I'm transferring from my servant to you, anointing in your hands. And when you lay hands on people, they're going to feel my power. They'll know something is going on. They won't be able to understand it, but they don't need to. Because I'm going to explain to them what's going on. And you're going to be my representative in places that this church is going to be sent to go. And you're going to lead the charge. You're going to need the anointing of God to do this. And so I'm giving it to you here tonight. So accept it. Receive it. And get ready to be used with it in the name of Jesus. Ha <laughs> In the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Glory to God. Yes, I see that too. Okay. Uh, Mike and Kathy, I need you to stand here, please. Please understand, everybody, I didn't think of any of this. None of this was thought up uh, prior to service. I just obey God and I do what I am told to do. Thank you, Father. Oh, yes, Lord. Days of promotion are ahead for you both. A change in operation is ahead for you both. New vistas, new horizons, new assignments are on the horizon for you both. You've proven yourself faithful in the days of small beginnings. The base will always be here. The foundation remains unchanged. But I'm going to move you and use you in different ways, unique ways, ways that you cannot yet conceptualize. But I'm going to flesh it out for you in your spirit as you wait upon the Lord your God. And again, it will be because of your tenacity and steadfastness to me that you have qualified for this promotion and for this um, upgrade, shall I say, by the power of the Spirit of God. In and she ataske. Woo see tangi grun unama inami anamata kaske. Yep, yep, miamosu naskito rasha in the name of Jesus. Oh Amaswut Rahenge Beta. Mm-hmm. The joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord. I see it. Aha, I see it more than ever. Oh yes I do. Thank you, Father. Oh yes, I'm over yeah, new vistas, new opportunities, new horizons. And in a sense, by my spirit, new beginnings, good beginnings. Accelerated growth in these last days for me. Yeah, there's, uh, yeah, I see the traveling. I see it, I see it, and I see it. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Uh, Desi, would you come here, honey, please? Thank you, Father. Just, you know, everybody stay with me. You know, don't be checking out. Don't be thinking about what you're doing. Just stand right here, sweetie. Thank you, Father. All right. Okay. Hands. All right. Move forward. Don't look back. Move forward and keep looking forward. Keep your head up. Keep your eyes on the horizon and your eyes on me. None of what has happened is going to deter my will from being accomplished in your life. You need to know that from the time you were a girl, a small girl, I placed an anointing on you and you're going to be used in mighty ways. You are your own woman of God. You have your own life to live and you just let me work inside of you the way I want to. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. You just be usable and ready to be used. I'm going to take you to places. I'm going to use you in great ways. Do not compromise your walk with me. Do not do that. 
Stay close to the Lord your God. And your life will be as fulfilling as it can possibly be. There is a calling on your life from the Lord your God. And I am going to see it through. And we're going to walk together and commune and be stronger than ever for the life that I want you to live in my name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Oh, sometimes, you know, everybody, everybody needs a little pick-me-up. I sure do from time to time. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to thank you guys. Appreciate that. Um, I just want to make sure we're, I don't have anything else further to say or to do. Everybody here is important, okay? Everybody here is needed. Everybody is needed, okay? We all go through patches in our life, myself included, where we're just not as sharp as we could be, not as sharp as we needed to be. We've made mistakes. But we need to, you know, move on, okay? Advance, keep moving on, under fire, advancing, going forward, never looking back, okay? Uh, praise the Lord. You know, what God said to Desi there, that applies to so many of us in so many ways, okay? And I just want you to know God is very proud of the work you're doing here. If he, if he could have me just say to you, he's very pleased with this church and what things, the way things are going. And I know there's day-to-day frustrations. Every church has them. There's disappointments. And there's all of this. But in overall general sense, God's very pleased with what's going on here. Please be a part of that. Don't be a hindrance. Be, a, be an asset. Be a help. Okay? Be an asset. Be a help. Okay? Uh, because God wants to do great things here. Great things have already been done. You know, you, you need to see beyond Norfolk. As an example, what you do to help us overseas on the other side of the world will be accredited to your account. It's as if you're there. Okay, we don't. This is the beauty of the world that we know. It can be a very shrinking planet because of technology, and you know the the, the ability to fly to different parts of the world in a matter of hours. Okay, so. God bless you. Thank you for coming, by the way. And I know, again, like I said at the beginning, you could be any place tonight except church, but you chose to be here. So I salute you for this, and so does God. And I want you to know he's very proud of you and loves you very much. And our best days are all ahead of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? All right, God bless you. Pastor, you can wrap things up in whatever way you would like. generously.